welcome to the first ever episode of Critical Therapy, uh, which is a podcast uh, by the Sane Society. And um, in this podcast, I talk about um, subjects related to critical theory, social philosophy, and the like. And um, today, I would like to talk about Batman. And uh, a few months ago, in March this year, I believe, a new Batman movie uh, called The Batman with uh, Robert Pattinson as uh, the portraying the Batman was released and it was directed by Matt Reeves. And um, I think most people really uh, enjoyed this movie or I, I guess many people. It uh, had quite uh, positive ratings from critiques. And I, 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 I guess I somewhat liked it to a degree. Um, the idea to uh, understand uh, Batman, the character, um, you know, as a, as a detective, uh, I th certainly thought that was an interesting choice. Um, but I thought in, in, in total the movie was quite lengthy. And I, I thought this, this ending, uh, the, the ending of the film was quite... Uh, was not very consequent uh, in, in regards to, you know, having this uh, sort of detective story. It, it was, I, I, I felt it to be more in the tradition of the Nolan movies and uh, this weird, uh, I didn't really like the, the, the genre switch the, the movie makes. But today I want to talk, I don't want to talk about this particular movie, but uh, the character, uh, Batman, uh, in general. And therefore, I'll be also talking about uh, the, the the Christopher Nolan movies. And there's this one aspect that uh, particularly interests me, which revolves around the the political implications of Batman's actions, particularly in relation to his understanding of criminality. And so the the kind of you know overarching question is um, for the podcast is that if we assume that Batman's behavior is kind of based on the goal uh, to sort of get rid of criminality, um, is the way that he the he's approaching this goal uh, a, a sensible kind of uh, way of going uh, about this task? And it turns out that. Uh, you might get different answers depending on the movie you look at, but we'll get get to that uh, a little later. So the the overall kind of claim um, I want to make is that uh, Batman's understanding of criminality could be called what a Marx um, would, uh, from a Marxist perspective, you could uh, associate with uh, uh, something that is called... Um, a false cons consciousness, or in other words, ideology. And if that's true, of course, we, we could also ask the, the follow-up question as to um, if the, the movie, or the movies, depending on the movie, also, uh, you know, re reiterate the, this uh, false ideological understanding. But to get to, um, you know, answer these questions, we have to start off by really uh, looking at Batman's actions and, and uh, analyze them a little bit here. And there are actually uh, significant differences within the different Batman movies here. 
uh, of course, uh, as I have already said, in every movie he sort of fights criminality and, and his way of, of doing this in the movies for, for the most part at least is that he fights criminality by fighting criminals. And, and that means uh, he, that he literally fights them and then usually then go, uh, they go to prison or they might be, you know, coincidentally killed in some way. By, by not not by the hands of Batman, of course, because Batman doesn't use um, it doesn't kill people, um, but by, by some kind of incident. But but you know most of the time they they will be imprisoned or go to you know Arkham Asylum uh, or something like that. Um, and then there's another overarching aspect that applies to all the different uh, Batmans in the movies and probably uh, comics as well, which is the fact that Batman's core motivation for doing this lies in his childhood, uh, particularly in the fact that his parents were murdered by a, a criminal. But, but apart from this fact, uh, the different Bruce Waynes in the different movies actually process this trauma in, in quite uh, different ways and and, and this le uh, and this leads them to act upon their trauma differently and and let's uh, take uh, first uh, the, the movie the newer uh, the batman the newer movie with robert pattinson uh, as the lead and here this batman has one core motivation that uh, i believe was already kind of advertised in the trailer uh, with this sort of slogan uh, I am vengeance uh, to really make sure you know there are no no misunderstandings here which is helpful actually to um, to analyze him um, it seems that uh, this Batman really is so you know paralyzed and scared by his trauma the only way he sees of acting upon it is uh, in this very impulsive and kind of infantile way of using violence towards the kind of group of people that he associates um, with the you know murder of his parents and he uses uh, the the batman role you know you could almost argue as a, as a drug to work through his conflicts and this is the first time the Batman, um, and I'm particularly referring to Pattinson's Batman still, actually reminds us of the, the main villain he's sort of after in the movie, the Riddler, um, who is similarly kind of angry and impulsive. So here we can make an interesting observation about the, the identity of the different Batmans, Nolan's Batman and, and also Reeves' Batman. Um, contrary to some other positions I've heard of, I would argue uh, personally with with the things I just you know said in, in mind that Pattinson's Batman is really like his true self in the role of Batman and uh, you know his whole character is consumed by his need for revenge and 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 therefore he feels like a you know a shell of himself when he's taking on the role of Bruce Wayne and on the contrary to that uh, the version of Batman Christian Bale embodies is sort of the opposite. Uh, for him, Batman is merely a, a you know a means to an end, which he uh, uh, he points out uh, several times in the movies. It is a role he has to take on to achieve what he actually wants to do. Uh, in the Dark Knight, he says that with the Batman, he wants to kind of inspire people. 
so there's this scene in in the Dark Knight where uh, Bruce Wayne, Harvey Dent, and and this um, this this model um, sit in this restaurant that uh, Bruce Wayne owns, and Harvey Dent talks about how Batman kind of is good because he uh, you know takes care of the scum of the city and that someone needs to um, pick up from there uh, when 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 Batman's not there anymore. And well, despite the fact that you know it seems that the scum is not disappearing, which uh, will which is a, a big uh, hint for us with with our further analysis here. So, if we have uh, this scene in mind, um, you know you you could argue that both of them, like Harvey and and Bruce Wayne, uh, have have this kind of perception where fighting criminality involves um, fighting criminals. And here I want to introduce a, a, a certain conception that, that can kind of illuminate, in my opinion, this approach, which is the notion of a moral or normative individualism. And this describes the attribution of causes of certain social phenomenon with individual intentions. So instead of, for example, looking at circumstances or um, non-individual social factors, which I'll get to in, in just a moment, Everything that happens is always linked to individual actions and the motivations behind them. And um, yeah, and, and this is what uh, sociologist James, Chil James Tilley calls a standard story. And a standard story is a narrative in which the social world is explained solely through individuals. Uh, Karl Popper uh, has like a, a kind of a similar um, uh, thing which he calls psychologism uh, this this for this similar term for uh, somewhat uh, the same um, issue and and um, if you if you're interested in this i also have a, a video up on on the saint society youtube channel about uh, structural oppression where i talk a lot about this and um and these standard stories uh kind of match this liberal understanding of the world that is very present in the in the global north these days in, in capitalism and I think that most people, and I, I would, you know, include myself in falling in that trap as well, uh, operate kind of their day-to-day -day understanding of the world through standard stories. Um, if you're, for example, in a grocery store and the cashier is rude to you and... and, and, and uh, it, you you won't think that is you know that they're frustrated um, by their extremely mon monotonous work, um, but you'll you'll say oh this this person is an idiot you know and this is a standard story it's like it's it's not there's not there can't be any kind of um, relation that this person is involved that makes them you know be rude um, no it is because we, we, you attribute it to their personality. Uh, and and we we'll leave it at that. And um, and this is kind of how moral individualism works. And uh, to get back to the Batman with this, um, so so Batman's understanding of criminality seems to be very much based on such a moral individualism, fighting cr uh, fighting crime with um, you know fighting criminals and subscribing to a narrative in which criminals are just you know scum, seems to be right uh, up that that kind of alley. So standard stories uh, kind of, like I said, have this feature of cutting off the decisions human make, humans make from um, the reasons that they make such decisions depend, uh, based on. 
And at this point, you could ask, um, wh well, what would be the alternative to, to this model? Um, how would we uh, instead explain and change social phenomenon, such as, for example, criminality? And let's for a second return to our cashier uh, if, uh, if to exemplify this. Um, there is a significant difference between saying that this person is just, you know, an evil idiot, uh, or to say that, um, let's say her, she uh, is a woman with a low income and also has a child at home living alone with, with the child without being to, to pay for, um, without being able to pay for someone that can take care of the child working a monotonous job um, while constantly having to worry about the child and, and the money. And we can no longer say that this person is an idiot uh, if we consider this. Uh, or it doesn't really make sense to um, have her behavior, uh, root behavior, relate to just that person being an idiot if we have these informations. In fact, uh, I would say with this in mind, we might be thinking, holy shit, if, if, if I'd be in a situation uh, like that, I'd be more rude, my, probably more rude than this person, you know. And now this brings me to what um, uh, philosopher Sally Hasslinger calls a social structural explanation, which, which I also talk about in, in the video about structural oppression I, I talked about. So, so what is a social structural explanation? Uh, well, to understand that, we first kind of need to know what a structure uh, really is. So, so a structure um, is defined um, by the relation of objects within a certain system. So if I have two systems with the same kind of objects in it, um, for example, two families with the, you know, a mother, a father, two children, the, the structure within the families uh, is defined by the relations of the diff these different people, uh, people within the family to one another. And so, you know, with the, 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 the in one family A and system A, the, the, the relationship between uh, the, the father and the daughter is, uh, is, is good. And then within the system B, the, their relation is awful. Then we have, you know, two systems, same objects, different structures. Um, so, so what is a structural explanation then? Um, let me let me throw in another or social structural explanation. Let me throw in another example to clear uh, this up. Um, and this is an example that uh, Hesslinger uh, makes in her paper. So, so imagine a couple, uh, um, uh, and they're called Larry and Lisa, and they, you know, they both consider themselves feminist and against being against patriarchy. And now they have a baby and so they have progressive, you know, beliefs. And so they have a baby and they find themselves in a situation where um, they can't afford decent childcare. Uh, and so, so what do they do? Uh, since, you know, within their community, men get paid a higher average and they decide to have uh, Larry work. And so, so, so this is an example um, where individual intentions don't really matter. The, the couple uh, the couple can be all the progressive they want, but the structures they find themselves in constrain the, the, the possibilities they have for action. And this is um, the core idea of a social structural explanation. Structural, you know, structural relations set individuals in roles in which their possibilities for action are uh, constrained. 
So here we have a situation in, in which uh, individual intentions don't really matter. Um, the couple uh, can be all the progressive they want. Uh, if, if the structures they find themselves in constrain their possibilities for action, it doesn't matter. Um, it doesn't matter for explaining their behavior. So this is the core, kind of core idea of a, of a structural explanation, social structural explanation. The structural relations set individuals in, in roles in which their possibility for action is constrained. And um, in, in, in this situation, the intentions of the individuals don't matter um, because the conditions of possibility in which individuals can act uh, are limited by the, uh, the structures. And, and this is the exact um, opposite to our uh, explanation of moral individualism. So now, if we return to Batman again um, and look at this to uh, and, and take this to his kind of understanding of how um, to take care of the crime problem, um, well, then we have to say that this guy doesn't have any conception of how social structures work. Or if he has a conception, then he, he, he ignores it. And I want to exemplify this by introducing the theory of enemy that sociologist Robert Merton um, developed out of the conception of the same name by uh, French sociologist Emile Durkheim. So for Merton, uh, enemy describes a, a condition in, in which there's a kind of a discrepancy between society and certain individuals. And, and that means that um, certain individuals don't have the means to fulfill the particular norms within their society. Uh, for example, when, you know, when, when it is considered valuable, as you could argue within a neoliberal kind of setup, um, um, uh, you 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 know have these conceptions of social uh, advancement uh, and a certain type of career to go after, but people uh, find themselves uh, to be uh, structurally constrained in their possibilities to gain such things. Well, then we have a problem, and and since these norms is are part of what is you know considered valuable, uh, or good or right uh, within this community as you know norms usually do um there's uh, this this contradiction and um now merton says that individuals have different ways of adapting to this problem and and one way he he talks about is called uh, innovation and within innovation um according to merton uh, the the societal goals are for for example social advancement are accepted, but the means, uh, like I already said, aren't available. And I want to expand on this idea a, a bit by looking at um, French sociologist uh, Pierre Bourdieu's conception of forms of capital. Um, and, and Bourdieu argues that uh, there are these different uh, interchangeable types of capital. Uh, there's economic capital, which includes money, property, etc. Then there's um, cultural capital, which are, are things such as education, degrees, the, and, and the means of education. And there's social capital, which is sort of the social network someone can take advantage of. And, and then there's uh, what uh, Bourdieu calls symbolic capital. And by that, Bourdieu means a uh, uh, kind of a prestige that certain people have. And 
for Bourdieu, all of these different forms of capital are exchangeable. Um, for example, um, with a certain degree, a uh, school degree, uh, I can get more symbolic capital. With more cultural capital, I can get a degree. Uh, with more economic capital, I can buy myself into a golf club and, and make social capital. And, and this goes on. And so we can argue that all these forms of capital are um, means uh, in, in Merton's definition, but they're at the same time also ends. Um, and they're not evenly distributed uh, within a culture and within a society and, and uh, within a, a capitalist society at least. And that takes us back to anomie. And, 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 and the thing is that uh, illegal criminal behaviors are ways to get economic capital uh, on a kind of more direct route. So now, in, in addition to that, if we assume that most crimes are committed by, by men, we can add this kind of gender dimension to this here, uh, at this point. We can insert it here. Um, uh, sociologist Arlie Russell Hochschild has this conception of, of feeling roles, which are these sets of different ways of how men and women, um, you know, are uh, supposed to behave. And, and she associates these m m kind of more aggressive behaviors as part of feeling rules for men. And if we add this insight to the structural conception of criminality, then it becomes another means that um, are part of the set of uh, means, you know, men have to get access to um, these different forms of capital. And the goals are part of the norms of a, a certain culture. So the 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 criminality becomes a kind of a, a an option for a, 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 you know a, a more of an option for men because they um it 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 um it relates to their kind of set within the role uh, a, a social role they're playing set of behaviors within the social roles their role they're playing so here we have a, a structural explanation for the emergence of criminal behavior. And there are, of course, many, many others uh, possible structural explanation, explanations for criminal behavior that are related to uh, the, uh, this, this subject. Uh, and that those might also be very accurate, but I don't want to really empirically prove a theory here. here. I, I just wanted to pick out a Merton's theory as an example to show that if there's a if there's structural reasons behind criminal behavior, behavior, we don't get get very far with a moral individualism. Uh, instead, it would be these uh, you know structural mechanisms we we would have to tackle, and um, you know, and, and what becomes important from there on would be systemic changes. Um, so if criminal behavior is related to certain societal ends, but the distribution of these ends is unequal, well, then these are the kinds of things um, th that are the problem. If we once again take this back to Batman, we, we could ask, what is he really doing by ridding Gotham of the scum of the city? Uh, well, he's fighting a structural problem by fighting uh, the symptoms. Um, so we can furthermore argue that uh, in the end of this new um, movie, Bat the Batman with Pattinson, Batman kind of somehow actually realizes that, that he's 
uh, on the wrong path when he starts to question uh, this uh, I am vengeance approach uh, that he uh, went for. Uh, after he sees how the things turn out in relation to the Riddler and his followers. And uh, and the interesting thing here is that it turns out that the Riddler actually is doing kind of the same thing that Batman does. The Riddler tries to fight criminality in the form of corruption through fighting certain corrupt, uh, corrupt single individuals. And the Riddler uh, also similarly does not actually look at the structures. Um, so through through kind of, maybe he does it a little more than Batman actually in this movie at least. So through, uh, until the until the end, of course. So through this, um, so th through making this point, um, this new Batman um, film kind of takes a bit of a step back uh, um, from this moral individualism um, that we uh, find uh, with within Nolan's film Batman. Uh, so with this, I now want to turn uh, to the last point I want to make. Um, in this um, episode, which actually relates to the title of the, the podcast um, of this episode, I want to talk about how Batman's moral individualism can be seen as a form of uh, ideology, or in other words, um, a false consciousness. And we can kind of conduct this from the previous findings, um, because there is this understanding of ideolo uh, ideology within the critique of ideology, where an ideology can be called a fa false consciousness of uh, of certain social problems. And here we already pretty much have uh, the answer uh, to why Batman's moral individual, uh, individualism is an ideology. Be it is because it mystifies the actual relations and reasons of a problem. It tries uh, the, the problem that it tries to solve at the same time. And we can see, particularly in, in Nolan's uh, films, how it uh, it's all about you know the corruption of uh, um, all the time, and and certain people that kind of are an exception to the rule of a normally functioning system. And we could even argue that Batman and his uh, fellows, from this point of view, are somewhat reactionary uh, and and traditionalist. They have these ideals, or conservative, they have these ideals of a working society that, that has to be preserved, and, and this preservation takes place by eliminating the irrational scum that appears on, on the field, such as, for example, the Joker, who's being, uh, you know, made this mysteriously, uh, mysterious, uh, irrational, evil entity that just... Uh, wants to th wants to see the world burn as alfred says to bruce wayne in, in one scene so now in effect what batman might actually uh, do here by trying to be the the symbol for gotham is give everyone the same kind of false consciousness uh, that he has about these problems uh, and so he kind of uh, ideolo ideologically occludes the conditions of possibility of you know they are ability to kind of enlighten uh, be enlightened about the uh, gotham and their and its criminal problem but by telling them uh, what we have earlier called a standard story about the problems of gotham and um problems that are actually you know are of a structural nature so batman in fact is kind of you know you could argue the worst <laughs> But no, but but uh, I want to end this episode with a quote by uh, Sally Haslinger, where she is speaking about uh, standard stories. Um, quote, 
I think we are warranted in concluding that standard stories are an execrable guide not just to social explanation, but also to what is morally re relevant. The focus on individuals and their attitudes occludes the injustices that pervade the structural and cultural context and the ways that the context both constrains and enables our actions. It reinforces fictional concepts of autonomy and self-determination that prevent us from taking responsibility for our social milieu. So with this, I'm going to end today's episode and I hope you enjoy this new podcast format uh, that I'm trying out. Um, and there's there's uh, going to be more stuff coming here on the, the critical therapy um, podcast Um and also, if you're familiar with the Sane Society, the, my YouTube channel, I, I, if you're not familiar with it, I invite you to check it out. Um, there's, um, I make video essays there on similar sub subjects from a, you know, social philosophy kind of perspective. And um, yeah, and, and thank you for listening. And until next time.